0: You're listening to the Rutt Ambush Podcast, and here are your hosts, Chad Cottle and Tommy Ingram.
1: Welcome back to the Rutt Ambush Podcast. I'm your host, Chad Cottle.
0: I'm your host, Tommy Ingram. All right, we're back.
1: All right. Today, uh, we're going to re-interview Jerry Everhart, and uh, I think this is important because we had a couple episodes that we just recently posted where jerry broke down rut uh, functional hunting and what has shaped the way tommy and i hunt and we kind of wanted to go into depth a little more well today
0: <clears throat> going back um I, the reason why it's so important that we wanted jerry and thanks jerry thank you for being here we really appreciate you being my, here
2: my pleasure guys my pleasure uh, I like to talk about deer hunting.
0: Yeah. Well, the reason why we wanted, the reason why it was so important um, to have you here, and I was, I was telling Chad um, prior to having your guidance, um, I was, I was, what you would call a very poor hunter, <laughs> and um, I, I made a lot of mistakes, and I didn't really understand or realize the mistakes I was making. I knew that, uh, I was determined and I knew that I really wanted to be successful, but I didn't realize all of the key concepts that I really had to grasp before I really had to get before to, to get better. So, um, I was seeking information and I was seeking it in all kinds of different ways. I was seeking it through magazines, I was seeking it through books, and then I started uh looking looking at podcasts um to get information. And I stumbled ca- across um um Huntfish Journal and it wasn't much after you joined Huntfish Journal as a guest. And um one of the first two episodes that I listened to was um, I was telling Chad calculating the big buck and the radical mm-hmm. bow hunter um, one and two and I cannot tell you how many times I listened to those two or those those actually those three episodes but there are so many key concepts in those three episodes that um, that I was able to grasp those concepts and that changed and formed the way i now hunt that i think just totally turned me into so much better of a hunter and that's why that's one of the reasons why we wanted you here today i was hoping that you were you would be able to go over some of those concepts with us
2: sure yes uh i i would say uh, first Tommy, that what you went through in terms of uh, to improve your deer hunting uh, success is not unusual. I would say I went through the same steps back many years ago. We all go through uh, that evolution of trying to get more information, better information and more education on on how to uh, outwit the white-tailed deer. So don't feel alone. We all went through that. So uh, that's true. And and I, I can recall this. I recall when I was uh, doing that, there were, there were improvements that um, I learned and we grabbed a hold of that are common use today. Uh, just to kind of give our listeners a background on what I mean. Uh, I can recall when we went to the woods bow hunting, of course the bow hunting wasn't that popular then there were very few people bow hunting back in my days when i was at your stage of uh, or your age even and uh, so um when, when you came across the, for example the ability to have scent soap we all we had was ivory soap and bacon powder and that was it bacon soda you know so every one of these uh, evolutions you would say in our ability to be a better hunter um it's it's something new that we can latch on that we can learn and uh you know i, re- I recall uh, uh grunt the grunt tube being coming out and i, I killed a couple bucks with a grunt tube and mock scrapes uh so so everything that comes out improve their ability to become a better whitetail hunter especially bucks i would have to say this though in and all of these and, and again there's a lot of gimmicks that come out that didn't work and a lot of people spent a lot of time a lot of money utilizing some of those and some of them were based on a little bit of science but not not a lot <laughs> in other words it wasn't proved but having said that i would like to make the point that what you're getting at is what we call rut functional honey is uh, a big step in uh, making a hunter more successful, uh, getting whitetail deer. So that's what you're getting at. I just wanted to tell our listeners that we all went through what you would call improvement evolutions uh, in in the whitetail world. And uh, now we've come to one which I feel is pretty important, and it's really worked for me, and it's worked for hundreds of our listeners in the Huntfish Journal podcast. Uh, arena and the rut functional hunting and and I I guess that's what you came across if we had to put a tag on it that was it Uh, so I just want to give that background does that make
0: sense absolutely it it definitely does hey
1: I want to say something real quick so if uh, the stuff that we're going to talk about calculating the big buck radical bow hunter one and two uh, that so calculating the big buck is episode number 11 on the Huntfish Journal and Radical Bowhunter. One is episode number 45, and two is episode 48. So, if you want to listen to those in more depth, you can do that as well.
0: Hey, hey, Jerry. The one of the one of the concepts that um, really was totally foreign to me when I was a, a new bow hunter was pressure, and uh, and actually up until the last few years, I I, I I really it really didn't hit home for me Um, how uh, How a mature buck feels pressure or or perceives pressure and how he um, uh, Perceives uh, the the his safety in the in the hunting woods Mm -hmm. and how he relates it to the way he moves and especially in the daylight in the daylight hours and what that means to my hunting su- success and i just thought that the guys that were the most persistent the guys that hunted the most the guys that were right. out in the woods the yeah. most were the guys that killed the biggest bucks
2: i know and, and not only not only uh, do a lot of people think that i would have to say a lot of the uh, what you would say, uh, well-respected authors uh, and uh, some of the uh, more established uh, TV uh, celebrities and hunting. Not, I'm not talking about a lot of them that that I I, I really you know I got a, a respect for all of them, but there's still a, a lot of these folks uh, will will promote people to go out and hunt more, hunt every day, hunt. You're going only. You're only going to be successful if you put in the time so uh, that's what they that's what they teach Uh, so it's no wonder that we think that if we hunt more uh, hunt harder hunt more we will be more successful in killing big bucks and it's a misnomer it's not true it just is not true hunt harder okay hunt harder but hunt smarter not harder just hunt smarter and if you hunt more, you're not going to be successful. Um, I, I would uh, uh, recall in the sports shop uh, that we that I frequently visited uh, back many years ago, and I I, would, I I could calculate the key days of hunt. I knew, I knew then. I mean, I've known how to do that since the 90s. Uh, I was. I actually had it nailed down in the 1990s uh, to know what days I needed to hunt to be more, more successful. So I recall being in the sports shop, and the, the two guys frequented a lot. And I, you know, I enjoyed talking to those guys, and we all exchanged information. So I, um, the key days were coming up the next uh, next day or so. And I'm in the shop, and I'm sitting there. We're sitting around the table, drinking a cup of coffee, and when i'm uh or i said to one to one of those two guys i said uh, are you hunting tomorrow uh are you going to be out tomorrow morning and they said no nope. no nope. and they but then the other one chimed in i've been we've been hunting we've been hunting for two weeks every day we haven't seen anything we haven't seen it here these leds, last week there's no need to go in. now that's exactly what we're talking about there was no need for them to go <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. they, they've hunted their stands every day for two weeks they might as well stay in and drink coffee
0: Yep. you
2: know yeah pressure
0: yeah pressure
2: is a big deal
1: it's funny it's funny you say that because i work with a gentleman that i was actually talking to today and i was talking about our our interview with you coming up and and trying to explain to him uh rut functional hunting and just within a, a, a 20 minute you know trying to give him a breakdown uh you know a summary of rut functional hunting and he's like man, you you just got to be in the woods. You got to be in the woods. You got to be out there to see what they're doing, to see when they're moving. And, and I just, inside, and it didn't matter what I said to this guy. He was he was set at, you know, you got to be in the woods and you got you to gotta be there at the right time. And I just kind of chuckled to myself inside. And, and I'm like, just listen to these podcasts. And, you know, if, if you, because the big thing that Tommy and I, we always say is hunt your own hunt. If you want to take a small buck take a small one if you want to pass and take a big one take a big one if you want to be in there every day be in there every day do what you want but this is what's been most effective for us
2: if if you're not having fun right uh hunting uh then you better do something else if you're not having fun you you want to change what you're doing Mm -hmm. hunting or you want to find another hobby because it, it is it is a, a a fun sport. So make it fun, and if you like going to your stands every day or two, three times a week from the say the first of October, go go to it. But if you want to be successful in harvesting deer and especially uh, mature deer, that just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of the people that promote that might be. Uh, uh, actually some some celebrities uh, friends tv celebrity friends uh they'll i, I have some some acquaintances uh, in the business that that will say that you got to be out there you have to hunt well that's true but you have to realize they have a place to go to different every week right. so so when you when you can get to go to another property that somebody else has already scouted or possibly set the stands up then it works for them because they are doing the same thing, they're keeping the pressure off of that stand until you get there. Mm-hmm. But if you don't, and you're like ninety percent of all the whitetail hunters in North America, they're hunting their own land or um, or small leases or or uh, friends are laying hunter their property. Then uh, you better be smart about how much you hunt that hunt that stand. First of all, uh, you got to know when to hunt it and maximize. Your opportunities when you go, and that's what I'm about trying to do. That mm-hmm. so, um, if they listen to those podcasts, I want to just tell them those were some of the early ones back in the early days of telling people about how to that what is out there for you to learn. So all the way up through the Hunt Fish Journal, there's more. Uh, there's more inform or there's not more information. There's a, a summarization of those. Um, that method in in a lot of those podcasts. Uh, So uh, that's the one that we try to get the attention on, as you said, when I was asked to come and be part of the Hunt Fish Journal. So, uh, yeah, calculating the big bucks. And I'm still calculating the
0: big bucks. Yep. Can I I chime in real quick here? One thing that I see that's really catching on that uh, I'm seeing a lot on YouTube is uh, guys that are, uh, climbing guys that are uh, either using climbers or climbing sticks with a lock-on stand, and a lot of these guys are going to like they'll be going to state land. So what you'll do, what these guys are doing is they'll take their their four-wheeler and they'll they'll be going back in the state land and. Um, they're they they're going to new stands all the time now that would be fun that would be that would be a good time because every time they're going and they're climbing a brand new tree in a new area scouting a new spot every evening they're basically virtually hunting a brand new stand every time they're going out there hunting that's not really what we're talking about here we're talk I, I I hunt private land Chad you hunt private land Jerry you you hunt private land quite a bit correct yeah a- and we're I,
2: I, I have hunted a lot of public land though so I but yeah I understand what you're talking about yeah. so uh, so
0: that I mean like for for guys that want to hunt a lot. I would and that that's something I want to do maybe this coming year where Chad and I have been talking about buying safe climbing equipment where we actually go into state land and do some scouting and maybe start climbing every climbing uh, one day on our weekend for an evening and keep the pressure off of our private land that we use for the rut and that get that maybe scratches that itch of us we can hunt more often and we put no hunting pressure on our private on our private land uh
2: that that's true uh first of all uh let's tell our listeners a little bit about what we're talking about um maintaining a, a location a stand site that we want to save uh, for the key days to, of, of the rut. And in other words, calculating—can we calculate when the best days are to be there? Yes, I, you you can, and uh, we call it the rut calculator. And I made that rut calculator is now available at Hunters Blend Coffee. Uh, because they were a sponsor of our uh, Huntfish Journal for, for many, many years. And um, those guys uh, know hunting and is involved, and it just made sense for me to, to move it there. So the rut calculator is at Huntfish Journal. I um, mean, excuse me, is at Hunter's Blend Coffee. And so, so what I'm, I'm getting at to our listeners is you can know the best days to hunt. Uh, it, it is. Uh, it is calculatable, and I, I know that a lot of you are going to say, how can that be? It's impossible. Well, I thought the same thing, but I spent many years of uh, data analysis and analyzing when to go to the woods, and it's based on 30 years of, of data, watching bucks, and basically we're telling you when's the best time to go is, uh, say, three day, three to four days of the seed stage when the doves are about to come into estrus and the does uh, uh, have got the interest of bucks, and they're up day and night, roaming, checking scrapes, and going through the woods trying to find a doe. Many people think that's chase, just because this doe takes off and this buck's behind them, and they say, "Well, they're chasing already." So it's got to be the it's got to be the rut. It's got to be the breeding time. No bucks run after does to check them, and does run off that when when they're, they're just any time they come across them. It's just what they do. Uh, and if that doe is, doesn't smell like she's an estrus, then he's going to tail off and go about his business and, and go through the woods looking for another one. So the best day to be there is when his interest is the highest, he's going to scrape some scent that smells like uh, you know a, a, a doe in estrus. And that lasts about three to four days, and people just don't understand that. It, that's just about what it is before the does uh, then allow them to chase them, and they'll run 100 yards and stop and let that buck catch up. I've watched it this past uh, two weeks, I've seen it happen many times where the, the doe is, is, uh, is, is in the chase date, she wants to be chased, and I've seen it where they weren't and they, did, they didn't chase them. They tailed off and looked for another one. But anyway, that time period, uh, the best time to be in the woods totally is about three days to seek and a, three or four days to seek and three or four days of chase, depending upon your geographic location. It changes. And uh, I worked on it for many years, trying to figure out what those days were. My background being a metrologist and the science of measurements, I came up with that the way of calculating it. And I can I can tell you when those days are the best days to be in the woods. And you guys use it, and you know it works. <laughs> well, it's worked all over. <laughs> it worked do, all over.
0: Do I ever? <laughs>
2: Yeah, so uh, I guess that's why you've got me here today. Absolutely. You, you you believe it works, and um, so that's that's part one of it. Part two is is when you go to hunt those key days to to look for for these uh, bucks that's most vulnerable. They're not their their mind is on uh, on the doe. They're not interested as much in, in checking you. Uh, and you, you, you get there those days, it's a whole it's a whole better chance. Your chances, their odds go up tremendously. The other thing is um, that if you utilize uh, scrapes, mock scrapes, in a pattern around your stand, uh, to your left, to your front, to your right, what this does is, it does two things. Once you start those scrapes about 30 days before uh, the key day, we in the key day comes from the rut calculator, and uh, that will tell you what those days are. And it will change. My goodness, it could be in the some of the northern states, the eastern, northeastern states, versus uh, versus some of the south, uh, southern states, and south western states. You can be a month, month difference in the, in those key days. Uh, so you've got to know when, you got to know when to go, that, that's point one. And uh, point two is is when you go to your stand, it's going to be a good stand. Now, evolution of hunting, yes, people have learned, oh, you got deer food source, that's a good place to hunt. So what did we go through? We went through an evolution of food plots. I remember when there wasn't any food plot season, now they, it's everywhere. So yeah, food plots, that's that's important. Pitch point, where the deer is going to come down when they're traveling uh, to, from here to there. All that has been an evolution of deer hunting, but beyond that, if you have a location to where you have these mock scrapes set up front, left, and, and uh, right, in other words, around your stand, I should have said left, front, and right, around your stand, mock scrapes, which are shooting distance for a bow hunter, uh, normally you don't want it much over 20 yards. Of course, some of some of the crossbows reach out there about 40 yards, so... That's, that depends upon what weapon you're using. But I like to have my, my scrapes t- maximum 20 yards from my stand. So you make these, pull down these branches and make these mock scrapes and start them at least about 30 days before that key day. Put some, put quality scent in it. I'm talking about real Doe and scent. And those books start to know where they're at. So one is know the, the day. Two, that tells you when to make the mock scrapes and you have to pull down licking branches and get those ready. So that's a little work. you got to do that ahead of time. You want to do that at least 30 days before that key day. Of course, if you don't get it done 30 days before the key day, and you're down to 15 days before the key day when you start to do it, my goodness, it's still better not having them at all. It's better to down one week ahead of time and start them than it is not to have them at all. But you have these mock strikes around your stand, your location, it's doing two things for you. Now, I don't want to confuse everybody. This is point two. We talked about point one is knowing when to go. Point two is having a location to go to, whether it's in public land or private land. And as you said, Tommy, most of us that try to control a piece of property to where we can control the pressure, our odds go up. So basically that's great. Uh, although I, I tell you, I've got a couple – got – some acquaintance and a lot of people that uh, pick this up and, and doing it that's killing some good bucks in public land. But they're doing the same thing. They know when to go. They're setting their stand up ahead of time. They're they're setting their mock scrapes up and uh, and then they go in and hunt public land. But no matter what you're hunting, you have these mock scrapes set up around your stand. You've scented them. Now this is point two, but I got to make I got let's call it A and B a point two. Point A that I want to make is once you make those box scrapes and you put quality scent in it, the scent that, that I have come up with, I'm not saying it's the only scent, but it's uh, trail and scrape, and it comes from uh, me working with a with a gentleman that was selling scent back 30, 40 years ago. And basically all I can tell you is uh, trail and scrape is is uh, real dough scent, dough and estrus without a preservative or an additive. And that's why I found it works so good. It's also got some tarsal gland in it, which really helps activate those licking branches. So you put it on the licking branches to activate the licking branches ahead of time. You can do that any time of the year, any time of the year. But then you scrape the scrapes out about 30 uh, days before the key day, get these mock scrapes going, and put scent in those scrapes. Point A, or what I want to make here is uh, the objective here, A is... Get the mock scrape started because what happens is it calls every buck that is in their home range to your stand. That's that's a key. In other words, if you keep track of the bucks that you've got on your property or, or if you have cameras and food plots and so forth and you monitor them in the summertime, for example, 60 acres, you might have four bucks or five bucks that you'll see all the time in September, you know, January, you'll see four bucks maybe. Once you make these scrapes and put that sin in it, every buck that ranges a mile, which is normally a mile and a half range, he's going to find them. So it's going to increase the bucks that's going to come to your stand by many fold. And I know some of you, the listeners out here are going to have a hard time believing this. But what it does is it'll change from four or five and within two weeks time it'll go to about 12 to 15. Mm-hmm. And in three weeks' time, it'll go to somewhere around 20. And by the time the key days, those three or four bucks that you've got now is somewhere around 20 to 24, 25 different bucks. I don't mean you'll see the buck, 20, uh, see 24, 25 pictures of bucks. I'm saying you can categorize that you had three or four bucks on your property and it'll go to 20 to 25 bucks. And that's normal. That's just, it happens year after year after year. I've tested it in a lot of locations. It's just the way it is. So, making these hunting locations, getting them set up ahead of time, part A, it brings these bucks that can range that far. In other words, like a range of a deer is like a mile and a half. So here's a home range buck that's over here, say a mile away, he's going to find your location. Believe me, he's going to visit it because he thinks there's a hot dog there. So this is all logged into his brain, and as it gets closer to the key day, believe me, he visits your place a lot more. Mm-hmm. So now you've got an increase of bucks to choose from. I don't mean that you're just calling the big bucks. you got all bucks coming there. So that's that's the, the point I want to make is this, making these mock scrapes ahead of time and having them around your stand what it does for you is it actually literally calls deer to your location. I'm going to say this, and people going to give me a lot of trouble over it, but I'm, I'm telling you, it's the truth. It will call deer to your stand location a lot more effectively than the best food plot will. Yeah, You, know, you can take <clears throat> that and, and uh, do whatever you want with it, but I'm telling you, that's what happens.
1: Yeah, so I can attest to this. Um, I use a cell camera on my property, and, and – pictures that my neighbor, who's about a mile, maybe a mile and a half away, um, pictures of bucks that he has. When I start implementing this method, I get those exact same bucks on my camera. Um, And this method is is perfect for for the setup that I have. Small property surrounded by unpressured, large, unpressured property. Um, I kind of wanted to set a question for you because it's a little bit of a sidetrack, but Say that uh, you're the hunter that uh, has doesn't have private property you can't control the pressure you have to hunt public land uh, so you may not be able to go and set up um, you know mock scrapes and licking branches or even keep a stand in the woods can is it still beneficial to utilize the key days and be out there you know absolutely you, you've been out there and you scouted you, you found
2: actual, absolutely okay you, your chances of being there the key day uh, alone, being there the key day, is going to increase your chances of taking a buck that fiscal year. It'll increase the chances of you taking a buck by about fourfold, just, just knowing the days to be there. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I mean, so, so that's that's the objective one, is to know the day, the best day to be in the best area to hunt. Um uh, that that's why the uh... calculation of the uh, calculating the big bucks is so important you can calculate it and know when that's that's and you know I'll, I'll go back to pi- uh, private versus public again um, i i have uh, a lot of followers of this method that hunt public land in fact i would say in the last uh... month i i'm getting Pictures and texts from there's there's a gentleman in Indiana uh, that literally has been hunting public land for a long time and he came to uh, uh, one of the functional workshops uh, a year or so ago. He was kind of an unassuming gentleman. I didn't even know if he was interested. Uh, I didn't know how much experience he had in uh, hunting, and come to find out later, he's an experienced hunter. Takes a lot of whitetails uh, because he's allowed to in, in the area that he lives, and uh, he implemented uh, rut functional hunting, uh, knowing the days to go and the uh, scrapes. He hunted he hunted tinker stands and did okay early. He took does in uh, in tinker stands and in where he could uh, did well in tinker stands, and then the key days he's hunting public land and he's gone to three different fights that he had set up, and uh, very successful. Him, his son, he's, he's a tremendously successful bow hunter, and uh, he just talks about what it means to be able to set up these uh, mock scrapes around his stand and know the days to hunt. He, he's Even even knowing the days to hunt, we're saying that if you're going to hunt, and you really want to go to the woods and hunt, you're going to save your best stand for the key day, but You've got other stands that's still good, and you can go hunt them, and we call them tinker stands. Go out there and hunt. And um, if, anyone, if you listen to all the podcasts and what I've tried to teach is the best time to hunt those tinker stands is about 12 days before the key day. And so you, 12, 14 days, you got two weeks to you knock yourself out on, uh, on all these stands, but set them all up the same. Set them up as rut functional stands. In other words, you've got... You've got licking branches tied down, and you got some scrapes to your left, and scrapes to your front, and scrapes to your right, and and go hunt them. I I, I start hunting. I have um, a couple stands that I start hunting the first cool day of the hunting season, and I would say three out of four years I take a doe the first day I hunt those stands because those does are interested in those scrapes also. So there's. The the bucks are still pretty smart. They're not apt to show up there the first week in October, but they do uh, for Ohio, we're saying. So Mm -hmm. uh, I just don't. Here's the bottom line I don't hunt a stand unless it's got mock scrapes around it. I just don't. I don't know why I would. Why would I go hunt a stand that doesn't have a mock scrape unless someone invited me to go to their woods for the first time and I go hunting? That would be the only reason that I wouldn't set it up and then I'm apt to be out there with a stick and, um, and uh, making me some mock branches <laughs> or mock scrapes <great. laughs> if he'd let me, you know. So there's there's no reason why I wouldn't do that uh, because it bucks and are, of course those are attracted to those looking branches all the time. Bucks are too, but especially as it approaches the, uh, the rut, these bucks just visited them all the time. And uh, so I, I wouldn't know why you wouldn't have said them up, public land or public land. I want to kind of go back, though, if I may, back to the, the functional stand setup. Mm-hmm. Um, once you've made these mock scrapes and you put scent in those scrapes on those licking branches, part what I would say objective A was to bring more bucks to my location. Now, objective B is this. Uh, I want that scent and those scrapes the day I hunt, morning or evening, I'm going to scrape those mock scrapes out with a stick. I'm going to put scent in them. In them. Now, if you get close to those key days, they will pay more attention to that scent than they do you. If you wait until those key days, those bucks... Have lost their mind literally I, I i don't know how else to explain it if they smell that doe and estrus and that you know which you've got in that scraping on that licking branch they don't think about you the hunter they'll make mistakes that they would never make any other time they those those key days those guys are just their brain is on one thing and that's it so i can get away with a lot the key days now Here's what helps me get away with it. The attitude of the buck is one. The next thing is, no matter which way the breeze or the wind is blowing, guess what? The scent of that scrape is going to get there before me. You get me? So if the wind is blowing towards that buck, he's going to pick up the scent of that scrape. And, of course, I'm scent control, but he's going to pick it up, and his mind's going to be on that scrape and that doe that he thinks there and not on me. So the advantages of making those scrapes ahead of time is, one, it calls bucks to to the area, part A. B is when I'm hunting the stand, I fool the deer's nose. He gets the scent on the branch and in the scrape, no matter which way the wind's blowing, and he doesn't know I'm there. That's the advantage of it that's part a and b of why you want the stand set up that way but functional stand that's why what it basically that's in sim- simplistically that's what it means it's set up to call bucks to my stand location and it's also set up to fool him when i'm hunting because he thinks that there's a doe there in those scrapes and not me so i just want to make that point does that make sense to you guys yeah. Yeah. absolutely
1: so jerry we uh, we're not a huge podcast, but we're blessed to have uh, listeners in almost every state in the United States and several different countries. If so, my question is: if you are a, if you're a listener in one of these short sighted states that may not allow scent, um, you know, synthetic scent, um, which I know we use real scent, but there are some of those places out there. How would All you right. recommend? somebody go about this method and I know you won't be able to do it exactly but the best way to go about it
2: Uh, it's a good point it's a great point and uh, let's talk about that for just a minute I knew this was coming on back 10 15 years ago I knew that they were trying to put some restrictions on scent. I'm not sure why they didn't start that early. I don't think that uh, chronic waste disease (CWD). I don't think that was that far in advance at that time. I'm not sure why they were, uh, which would say beginning to object to to natural scent. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have read a lot. I have talked to uh, to the experts in this. I actually did a uh, a podcast with the. Uh, President of the APA, the Archery Trade Association, and for people that don't know what that is, that is like uh, the number one arm of the outdoor world other than the NRA uh, that's gun related. Well, the Archery Trade Association, everybody that's into hunting is just about there. Everybody but the guns uh, are displayed there. Camo, boots, bows, arrows, tree stands, everything and so and it carries a lot of political weight Mm -hmm. so i uh, figured that i need to talk to this guy he would know more about it so we did one i i don't know which podcast it is you can go back and find it but it's an interview with the uh, president of the ata when he knew that they were trying to outlaw the use of natural scent and uh basically they have not proven anywhere in any form that that is a problem it hasn't been done yet and uh, the experts are trying to fight that now whether they will turn it around and they'll get back to uh, letting them use it again in, in some of these states I'm not sure but they have outlawed the use of, of real scent in some of these states but the ATA has done a lot to try to um, I would say uh make sure that we hunters have scent that's available to us so that, i just want to make that point and uh the scent that 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 we use and where you can use the scent is the trail and scrape and it's also uh at hunter's blend website uh you you, you order it there and it comes just right from the guy that we developed the scent with 30 years ago so we know it works you can't get anything any less expensive than that either So, back to your question. Yes, they are saying that in many states you can't use natural scents. There's some states that are saying that. Uh, I knew this, so I started trying to utilize uh, synthetic scents. So, I got a hold of as many synthetic scents as I could, and I run some tests of scrapes with synthetics. I haven't found it to work yet. I mean, I'm not saying it won't, and I don't want to get—I don't want some company to be down my neck. Uh, but if, let me just put it this way: it's not been as effective for me as natural scent. So I don't know what to say other than that. So what would I do if they—if I couldn't use uh, real dough and ester scent? I probably would try synthetic. And hope it works. Uh, I know one thing: I would start my licking branches and my, and have those started as early as I can, so that I would get the scent there naturally with the does, so that those scrapes would be easy to be taken over by the bucks. That would be that, that that's the best thing you can do. Uh, if you don't have any scent available to you, you just get to where the does and the bucks start using your your maid your you're synthetically not synthetic but your mock licking branches in other words you make licking branches around your stand so that when you make those scrapes those scrapes are taken over by the bucks uh, and the does that's about the best thing you can do and it's going to hurt your chances it just is there's no there's no way around it it's just going to decrease your chances yeah because I, okay. I assume, your assume question uh, not,
1: yeah it does um I, there's really no good answer to that, I guess um, you did about as as good as you could. But um, I guess if you pull down licking branches and and still do rut functional, just don't use the scent and kind of hope that those uh, those deer take over and st- start the using them on their visited. own. Yeah, yeah. So
2: I don't know of any states. I'm not sure I that there's any states uh, that will not allow you to use uh, synthetic. Okay. Uh, they may be. I don't know. I, I haven't looked at all their laws. I know that, that uh, Michigan uh, did did stop it, outlaw it, and then uh, they came back and and just changed it. Okay. They just just, just reversed their, their ruling. Yeah. And hopefully
1: that becomes a trend. So, yeah. Hopefully that becomes a trend because with with uh, the other states that are doing that as well.
2: I would say uh, if they if they outlaw the use of real doe and estrus, uh, hopefully you listeners can have better luck with synthetic than I have. But I would go to synthetic. There's uh, and uh, work on it. At least uh, it would be better than uh, than not having anything in it. Sure. that's for sure. Hey,
0: hey, Jerry, and, uh, can you go back and explain to our listeners the? complicated process that you went through to determine how you came up with the rut cal- the calculation how you found the um, how the the ratio between daylight to dark triggered the estrus cycle on the dose and how that in turn triggers the daylight movement of the bucks which makes our hunting more successful in november
2: uh well november here in some states actually it is uh october <laughs> but yep. uh yes uh it, it has to do with your geographic location in some places in the south it'll we'll go to december but uh, you know it, uh, it it changes uh in other words the rut does not let me just rephrase that the most activity of the bucks that is caused by the rut is a specific time period that happens at a geographic location due to a factor a element of nature and that's basically we've everybody's known that the rut happens but they have a hard time trying to predict when it happened well I was just an interested deer hunter and uh, um, I met Fred Bear uh, on two occasions and on one occasion we sat down after he did a, a talk and there weren't that many people there uh, at it I mean it's hard to believe but it, he he became more famous uh, after his uh, what you would say his hard work then he was during that time uh, not to say that he wasn't highly respected but I would say there probably wasn't 20 people, 20 of us there, to listen to his talk that day, in that you know where he was at. But when he got done, he was just as friendly and just as great as he could be, and he, he had his wife with him too. And we sat down around the table, and uh, I don't know, like a dining, little dining room table, and uh, in sports workshop, and we're talking. And uh, he was saying though, there's two things that was most important that for him was that to keep field notes. Well, that was one of the things he said he said i keep a journal and uh, write down where i hunt what i hunt what i saw what the temperature was and anything that i could figure out that uh was important to that hunt well we know that that was important for him because many of them they started making some movies then and he could add that to his script of what was going on Uh, that was great uh but he told me that day he told uh, just a few of us around that table he said When you go back and look at that, next year it'll make you a better hunter. You'll know that that's a good time to be there or not, and what you saw, and you compare it to another location or another day, and he says, he will just make you a much better hunter. Well, I did that just because he suggested it. So I started making notes on every day I went hunting since probably, I'd say in the 1970s. That goes way back a long time. So I'd write down the day, the temperature, the wind, and as much as I could. And uh, what I saw, what I, you know, what I saw and, and uh, oh, the success, someone had success. Well, I learned pretty quick that I was seeing a lot more bucks in Ohio in November than I was in October. That, was, that became common uh, knowledge to me. The second thing is I found out I didn't see near as many bucks in December as I did in November. So I started then trying to figure out when was the days I was seeing all these bucks, and I tried to go back and hunt the same time. Well, being a, a numbers person involved in measurements, I had statistical tools that I could use. So I started trying to analyze it, and the broadness of that date was like uh, in where I was hunting in Ohio it was like anywhere from November the second to November the. The twentieth, I would feed more deer and seeing lots of bucks. So I try to narrow that down. I looked at temperature. I sorted it according to the calendar day. I sorted it according to, believe it or not, I looked at the moon. Uh, I had to go back in the almanac and get the moon put the moon phase in because I didn't pay. I didn't write it down because I didn't know if it's full or quarter or what that day. But I did. I added all that data to it, and I and I found out something pretty interesting. I found out. The moon did not have any, did make any difference, <laughs> contrary to what everybody's been saying in magazines forever. Uh, and uh, lately now they, they have ran studies to find out the moon didn't affect it. Actually, the University of Pennsylvania ran been a very good study and found out it didn't really affect it at all. The moon phase wasn't statistically even noticeable. But anyway, that's what I did. So I looked at the Julian calendar. And my curve got closer, uh, tighter. And then uh, I got a hold of a biologist that a friend of mine that was, uh, a doctor friend of mine in Michigan that was uh, connected with the stump sitters. they early already on a Deer Hunter Magazine. And um, he said, there's this biologist that knows more about deer than anybody else. And this friend of mine was big into food plots, too. So anyway, I started paying attention to... This biologist, and he said uh, that what causes the doe to go into estrus is the change in sunlight in her eye. <laughs> so I then started analyzing sunlight and, and calculating sunlight, and uh, that wasn't too hard to calculate that. But the problem was was finding out when was the best day to be there? And that came from, from 20 years or 30 years of notes of uh, big bucks. When did I see the big bucks from and what were they doing? So I tied that. I tied those days that I was able to see the most deer and all that data. I analyzed that data and I tied it to the sun amount of sunlight that would be available at that geographic location that's what that and then i said wow that uh, i got it down now to where i could see that those best days to be there was a one or two days three days time period so what i what i was doing then i was hunting up some a lot of public land in southeastern ohio so i i set up uh say three or four Stands in that location, so I'd have three or four stands. Now I found out by my calculation that I knew it was this day or that day. I knew I was within two or three days of it, so I would go there and I would hunt one stand. And if I didn't see three or four nice bucks, then I'd move to the next stand the next day, and then I'd move to the next stand to the next day. And you know, I'd find it one of those four days. I'd hit it. Those deer would just, it was like turning on a light switch. Uh, the deer just went from from not r- moving in the daylight to moving, or not moving in daylight to moving in the daylight. And uh, so then I, I was able to tie that and calculate that uh, according to that geographic location. So I thought, wow, I'll come back here in Ohio and in the western part of Ohio and I'll hunt the same days. Well, that didn't work. So I found out that I had to calculate it for every geographic location that you're at. So the rut is different in, uh, say for example, the rut happens at a different time in in, uh, Toledo than it does in Cincinnati. I mean, several days different. So if you pick the same day for those two locations, you would go hunt a stand for two or three days, and then your success would be actually nothing if you were there too early. So don't go too early because you're putting pressure on that stand. Mm-hmm. So that's what that's how I did it.
0: The um, <clears throat> so part part of those three key episodes of um, calculating the big buck and the radical bow hunter wanted to were are all of these key concepts and one, one of the most important concepts, and I know this is something we talk about all the time, but uh, scent control. And I'll never forget you saying this phrase. Do not underestimate the nose of a deer. You're um, right. And it is something that, has always just rung in my mind and I just said to myself, you know what? I'm just not going to underestimate the nose of a deer. That's just not something that I'm ever going to do. So let me ask you this question. Can you tell us um, your scent control routine, and mm-hmm. the links that you go through to go undetected by the by a whitetail's nose.
2: The deer. Okay, um, let let me uh, refer back to those podcasts that you're talking about. I want, I want you I want your listeners to, to to understand this. I I in those years and back back several years ago. And even whenever I can, if I help would allow me, I'd hunt. A lot. I, I hunted a lot. In other words, uh, I was on tinker stands uh, in October. You, in other words, I set up a lot of stands and I hunted a lot. So the tinker stands, I'm, I'm going to say this, before those key days come about, the scent control becomes more important. Now, I'm not trying to say minimize scent control even during the key days, but I learned about scent control by not hunting the rut you follow me does that make sense
0: yeah
2: i learned scent control when i wasn't hunting the rut yeah you know. so i found out how important scent control was uh, uh, many years ago i would get i would get caught by deer um, they would be blowing at you they'd smell me and uh, you'd you have them snorting at you, you know, blowing, and you'd say, well, what is that? How can they smell me that far away? And then when I started uh, uh, trying to enact scent control, like I said, there wasn't a lot of products there. So I, I, I went through a lot of trouble to control my scent in the it, back years ago. In other words, what did I use? Well, when they came out with scent control soap, I take a shower in scent control soap. I wash my clothes in the wash machine. What the, I don't own two wash machines, so I have to run my clothes. I'll take uh, my least important hunting clothes and I'll run through that wash machine. And the worst thing about that is is fabric softener. Man, I hate fabric softener, but don't tell my wife that. Yes, yeah, you know. Here. So, <laughs> so fabric softener and so forth in the wash machine is awful. So, you have to remove that. You have to wash down the wash machine with some scent-free soap, and then you have to run a, a cycle through with, with scent-free hunting soap. There's a lot of brands that's out there now that you can use, and, and um, I found them, some of them to be fairly successful. Uh, but, but you wash your clothes and scent-free clothes, uh, soap. If I let a wash machine go through two or three cycles, uh, but, and then I'll use it, the dryer, I'll vacuum out the lint thing with my vacuum cleaner. Uh, I'll wipe it down with some, um, uh, you know, sit spray in the in the dryer, and then I'll run the clothes through after they've been through the washing machine cycle. I'll run them in the dryer and let the, and, and de- de-scent the dryer. In other words, I'm letting the dryer dry scent fr- scent-free clothes. Then I put those clothes back in the washing machine and wash them again. So if that gives you an idea that's mm-hmm. how particular I am about my clothes. I keep my clothes in uh, uh, plastic containers like you would buy at Walmart that have also been scent free, washed down, washed down real well, aired out, sprayed, and I use the same containers for years. So those containers are scent free, and after I wash my clothes, I put them in these large plastic containers, sealed containers. I have one container for the under clothes. I have the other one for the outer clothes, like sweatshirts, blue jeans, and, and things like that. And then the camos go in another container. So you basically, I got three containers of clothes because the outer, the outer camouflage, uh, the suit of camos, uh, those will not be as critical as the others. Uh, you might wear those uh, for a couple of hunts before I wash them again. So that's what I do with my clothes. When it comes to my to my my body, again, I I try not to eat uh, when I when I'm getting ready to hunt. For example, coming up to the rut in the key days, I lay off of spicy foods for at least three or four days before that. I I don't eat any chili. I stay away from the pizza, uh, and, and and I try to watch that. Um, there's also some some good. Eight out there to help you um, I'm trying to think of the name of the uh, oh, bear with me for just a second here. there is a uh, company that is a leader in uh, has been a leader for years and years in your clothing we're talking about carbon clothing and sit free clothing and uh, uh, and uh, so scent shield, there's you know, depending upon everybody's got their preference when it comes to clothing. But scent shield, the same company, which is made by uh, the same laboratory that makes the um, Robertson Laboratories, Robertson Outdoors, they make an internal deodorant pill. Now, I'm not trying to tell everybody to run out and take pills to eliminate your human odor, but they make an internal deodorant pill too. It's like it's made of um, the type of uh, chlor- uh, chlorophyll and so forth in plants. So I start taking a few of the, the, according to what they prescribe, I take a few of those pills to try to keep my internal iodine uh, level down. Uh, that's so I do that. Um, my hair, I, in my body, I shower every time between hunts in scent-free body clothes. I have my boots in a certain place. Uh, I don't uh, wear my clothes uh, anywhere other than uh, and I put them on wherever I'm going to go to hunt. So, I, I'm very careful about my clothes, I'm very careful about my boots, and I'm pretty careful about my uh, my personal, uh, what you would say, deodorant, uh, personal odor. Um, what it can, I don't know how, it, I'm searching for words. Uh, hygiene, my personal hygiene, yeah. and my personal hygiene in terms of, of scent. So I, I try to take care of all three of those things. Uh, I will uh, not um, uh, wear my, my cell phone. I wipe it down with uh, Walmart makes some uh, provide some uh, baby wipes and white top and red bottom, and they're scent free. Believe me, those things work. Uh, I've been using them for how many years? They're dollar seventy five cents a box. I wipe my cell phone down. I wipe my watch down with those. I uh, use spray uh, that's on the market to to help eliminate the scent before I go hunting. So I do. I do all that, I do all that because it's very important. Deer can smell um, when they're when they're wanting to smell you. They can pick you up for a long way. So their nose is unbelievable.
1: Yeah, I, I uh, might say
2: this though: as you approach the rut. And, and he gets more interested in that no uh, extras. and you set your stand up the way I'm talking about, y- it doesn't become as important. I-, I know that sounds crazy, and that's, that's all I'm, you know, I- I'm not trying to cut your, uh, not trying to <laughs> tell you to cut down on your scent control. I'm not saying do that, because you want to take everything that you can to your advantage. But I can tell you this. During those key days, I can get by with a lot that I couldn't get by with before those key days. Yeah. And that's why I don't care about playing the wind. I use good scent control. I don't set my stands up for the wind. I set my stands up so that when I approach my stand, I don't have to go through where the deer would be bedded. I approach them, my stand, and uh, and the only quadrant. That I'm probably going to get busted in is the one that's to the back of my stand. So I try to set my stands all up to where I, as I approach my stand, the way I come in is to the back of my stand. That way I haven't busted any of the deer to my left, front, and right. That's basically the the best thing I can do to control uh, the the key days Mm -hmm. is to uh, come in from the back area of my stand, but to be honest with you, when I've got the scent in that straight and I'm there the key days, I don't care which way that wind's blowing. Mm-hmm. In fact, if I see a big buck out there somewhere about, oh, 100 yards off, I hope the wind's blowing that direction. I know that people think I'm crazy, but I hope it's blowing that direction. Why do I hope it's blowing that direction? Because I have done, I have taken my scent control into consideration. I have used good scent control... Tactics and methods, and that's one. And two is, I want him to smell that Doanestris in mm. <laughs> my scrape because he's going to come, he's going to come like a bird dog goes to a bird. He's coming right to it. So, if the wind's blowing the other way and he, he doesn't smell it, my chances of getting there is less. So, right. I, I, get, I get more, I get more, uh, what you say, flack for this statement than about anything else, uh, but I'm going to say it anyway. I don't play the wind <laughs> i just don't play the wind you are. if i play the wind if i play the wind it's the opposite of what all that uh, everybody else is telling you they're going to say always play the wind i've learned to play the wind i learned to play the wind by allowing that scent to go in his direction
0: well, I, well jerry felt- the uh the morning let's see the november 12th i put uh, I put Chad in a in a ground blind, and I told him. I said, "Hey, I, I looked at the weather, and I and I knew which way the wind was blowing that morning." I said, "Hey, just just so you know, I, I know your I know your scent control is going to be on point. He's he's that's one thing he's he don't mess around with." I said, "Just just heads up, w- w- the w- wind's going to be dead wrong, meaning it's going to be dead right." for for functional yeah that's right (laughs) it's gonna be it's gonna be blowing right into the bedding area and right front right into where they're coming from and he said odd he 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 wasn't even worried about it he said you know i'll be good and and if i'm right if i'm right that buck that you shot came right from that area right Yep, exactly yeah and and the the wind was blowing right at chad's back when that buck i love it Mm -hmm. yep yeah, the I same love it, thing it, Tommy. Your last statement year. was,
2: you that you were uh, uh, the wind was uh, was really bad, which means how did you say that? Phrase, phrase that again. Well,
0: Tom? the wind was dead wrong for a traditional hunter, but it was dead right yeah, for that's good. yeah, yep.
2: yeah, dead wrong. When when the wind is dead wrong for traditional hunters, it's dead right for us. Yep. Yep. That's right. I got to remember that. I got to remember that one, Tommy. When it's dead wrong, when the wind's dead wrong for most hunters, it's dead right for us. Yep. that's we'll,
1: right. We'll wait to hear that on the hunt <laughs> <area>. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: Hey, hey yeah. Jerry, Jerry, I want to ask you one more thing before I, I know we've had you on here an hour already. But I want to ask you one more thing before we let you go. Um, this this uh, well, early spring actually late late winter, early spring. Chad and I, there's a possibility, we picked up. A good good bit of private land that we're going to be hunting uh, next fall and somewhere in mid-February we're going to be we're going to be going out and scouting and starting the process of setting up some new stands that we're going to be hunting um, next uh, next rut why can you give some advice for Uh, someone that's starting rut functional hunting for the first time why is it important for someone to start out as soon as possible to identify their travel corridors identify where their stand is going to be start working on their stands, start pulling down their licking branches, getting their stands hung, getting their uh, blinds mm-hmm. in, getting their they're getting their sta- right. sta- uh blinds brushed in, getting their stands ready. Why is it important to get it done sooner rather than later um, for this for well, this process. Good. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go
2: ahead. I interrupted. No, that, no, that was it. Uh there, there's there's multiple reasons why it's better sooner, uh, so we'll try to we'll try to cover them as, as quick as we can. Uh, first of all, uh, pinch points and travel routes, and all that locations is all good. Uh, that 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 helps that ups your chances of getting more bucks to your to your functional stand. Uh, the 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 issue is though you want to you want to go to a piece of property. You go, you and it's good when you go, as you said in February, because the leaves are all off. You can see the trails. You can see scrapes that were made by the bucks. You'll know, you'll know more of what's going on by by, uh, by doing that. Once the snow in, in northern states, as soon as the snow goes off, you want to get in there and look at it. You know, but the the timing is right. What you just said is a way to do it. Here's the first thing you start with. Where are you going to be parking your car or your truck? Or what what cottage or cabin, I mean, are you going to be hunting out of? Mm -hmm. Uh, Or what camper area? That's what you think of first. How am I going to get to this location? So you're going in and you're going to scout your area. Once you find a place that you're going to set your stand up, you want to think about how you're going to get there. So how you're going to get there is you want to try to get there without going through a lot of woods as much as you can. Because when you get ready to hunt in the fall, there's going to be leaves on the ground, there's going to be quits down there, and you're going to be making a lot of noise getting to that stand. So once you find your life, your location, it's the direction you come from is important. So the next thing is that once you get into this piece of property, food sources are, are, are okay. That's, that's important. If you're hunting and you've got a food plot, yeah, use that food plot. But don't try to kill that deer over the food plot without maximizing it with scrapes around it. In other words, still set it up functional. I set my I got a food plot. I got a blind. I just I, I love it, especially late season and the weather's bad. I go to that. But there's scrapes. There, I got to set up the scrapes on around that. I can't shoot to to every one of those scrapes, but I can shoot the most of them. You see, and that's a calling card too. So you go to find the place where the deer are most likely to be. And, and, and you'll see the trails, and, and naturally, everyone likes to hunt crossing trails. That's okay, because crossing trails means that's where the deer are converging to. But you first go to the location where you can get to fairly easy. Logging road, get to it, a field that you can get to it, a pasture that you can get to it. That is the first thing I look for. How do I get into that woods? And then when I get into that woods, Where is it that I can find a good location, a pinch point or a stream? They love water and they love streams. So if I can get close to one of those, I will. And then I find where a trail crosses. The next thing is where the trail crosses. We find a crossing trail, heavy-use trail. You turn around and stop and say, hmm, now here's the trail. This is a crossing trail. Which way is it? Back to the truck. (laughs) So you stop and say, which way is it? Back to the truck. (laughs) So now that sets your stand up because you then want to move back towards the truck from that crossing that direction and back to the logging road, to the field or wherever it is that got you there. And that's the way you want to get to it. And now you back up, back up that cross trail, back up until you get shooting distance right, left, and for me 20 yards so i'm back to where these, this cross the trail uh, is now 40 yards apart and i'm saying where's a good tree that's the next thing i look for where's a good tree or where's a good place to put your ground line that that's the next thing you look for then you would say hmm, do i have trees with branches or grapevines that i can tie down to my left, to my right, and how about in front of this stand? Because what I'm going to do is I'm going to go up there if I need to. I'll just go through there and uh, whack me a trail across there. You know, you'll actually make the trail right in front of your stand, so you'll cut a little cross trail across the front of your stand, but look for trees, branches that you can tie down for licking branches. That's the next thing you look for. And if you've got all three of those things a crossing, you can back up and find a tree, that you can put your stand in or your blind in. Then the next thing you look for is there trees I can t- tie down for licking branches? Then I'm, and, and now I know it's back that way to the truck. That my step, the stand, the back of my stand or blind is going to be that way. In other words, I want to face towards the crossing, you see, mm-hmm. away from the truck. Does that make sense? Yeah. Is that too it does. complicated? No, it, it makes
1: sense to us for
0: sure. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And then once I find it, I'm going to go take some of my, my string my nylon cord and i'm going to be tying down those branches while i'm there as soon as i can tie down them off the licking branches do it in february and if you got a little scent with you carry a bottle of scent with you and when you get done tying them down uh put a few drops of scent on the end of those licking branches and you're you've got them started that's what you do Uh, that's what i would do as soon as i could
1: but to clarify, you're not, making, you're not making scrapes yet. You're just doing the licking branches.
2: Nope. Yep. I am finding. I'm, I'm finding out where I'm going to put my stand, and and I'm setting it up to put it in there, and I'm starting my licking branches. Yeah.
1: So you can start them as as early as you want. You can start them at the end of this season.
2: You can start them right now.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. I guarantee you, you can go out here in the woods or out here anywhere where there's. I, 25, 30 yards behind my house, and tie down a tree, a branch, and start a looking branch. Put a camera on it, and I, I'd be surprised if it goes two weeks without a doe getting it. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, it, that's funny because I was uh, this, I don't know, probably the last mow or two that I did of the year, um, off my back deck to the wood line in the yards, probably, I don't know, 30, 40 yards, and I called Tommy. And I was like, you're never going to believe this. And I was I was uh, mowing along the wood line, and I noticed a dirt patch. And I just thought maybe it was moles or something. And then I looked up, and there was an overhanging branch right there, and I immediately snapped that thing off, and <laughs> this is not where my stand was. So I, not where
2: that's right. That's know, right. That, that's, that's podcast number three or four. <laughs> yeah. What you do when you got too many scrapes. Okay, like you can't
0: shoot two. Okay, yeah. Jerry, I, pr- pro- I promise I was going to let you go, but I, I got one more thing. A couple days ago, I get a text message from you with a nice old buck on there, mm-hmm. so you, you got to tell us the story.
2: Yeah. Well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> The the, um, the key day, the, the calculator, the rut calculator, calculating the big buck, calculating the key day. Uh, everything I do is done around that day. So here's here's what happens. You, you know when to go, and I, I I heard you I heard your podcast, uh, Tommy. You you went first day, and it, it, I don't even think you had time to even unpack your bag. Yeah, I, I uh, was I um, was done quick. Yeah, so, yeah done quick. Uh, well, I hate to tell the listeners this, but that's what happened to me. I mean, it, uh, the first day, uh, I, was, I would have been done. But I had the same problem that you did, Chad. I, I shot well. I, I put the arrow in a, you know, uh, and it, we hate to t- say this, but it's a reality. So people that listen to podcasts, they're, they're serious hunters. Or they wouldn't be listening. I'm going to tell you, big bucks are hard to bring down. They're just hard. They're hard. Mm-hmm. So I shot, shot a big buck that first day, and uh, it was just like textbook, the way it's supposed to be, and a beautiful point. And I can't tell you whether or not uh, he survived or didn't because I spent two days tracking and, and, and didn't find him. And as far as I know, he's still walking, but I wouldn't have thought so. But nevertheless, there's three days of my key, three, key six days. In other words, those first three days is best for a bow because they stop at your scrapes and you get shots. You shoot them, shoot them in the scrapes usually. And uh, now after you get into the, the sixth day, uh, I mean uh, the fourth, fifth, and sixth day, they're, they're moving a lot faster and they're chasing the does. So you got to get between the, the does and the, the buck or, or the does got to run through your scrapes, and they do that a lot. So it gets harder. So naturally, I kept trying – you know, I had plenty of opportunities – uh, here, here basically is it in a nutshell in in the four days or five days that I had a chance to hunt and I wasn't tracking I saw twenty four bucks at my location twenty four different sightings I know people find this hard to believe but twenty four different sightings
0: I don't find it hard to believe I, I,
2: I found tw- uh, I, I had twelve bucks that were uh, in scrapes or in shooting locations around my stand. 12 out of those 24 were like, that's the way it's supposed to be. I passed on, I passed on, on, on all but two of those. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. I shot the one, spent two days looking for it, unfortunately. That's the biggest problem of hunting the rut that all you folks out there will have is is spending a lot of your precious time if you don't find your buck right away, it will, it will really, really give you problems doing the, the rut, you know. Because you're not only going to take precious time looking for it, but you're also going to mess up your location, yep. creating pressure. So that's a big issue. Now, after that key date, like you said, you've got, you've got th- three to four great days. Uh, you have uh, another three to four chase. And the next thing that you would have uh, um, is those deer are breeding and uh, kind of locked down, what I call locked down. Now, the bigger bucks, as soon as after they they bred, which usually lasts 48 hours, a doe stays in estrus for 48 hours, they'll get out and start to roam again. And I counted on those days. So I went back to my functional stand that... You know, in other words, I'm, I'm saying 10 days, 10 days after the start of my key day, I went back and started hunting those stands, uh, the ones that didn't have the pressure on it. And lo and behold, two good bucks is out cruising again, big bucks. Uh, I mean, one that I shot is the smaller one of uh, the big one, or the, or the two. And the, the bigger buck, I watched him for 45 minutes. I think that he had a doe close to where he was at, but I couldn't see the doe. This one that I shot, uh, I saw him a couple times, but I didn't, you know, just saw him go through the area. The wind was not right for rut functional. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It was not blowing their direction. So I, I called, I used the doe call, and I called the bigger buck he paid attention, but did not make any movement. The smaller of the two, which is the one I shot, which is a decent buck, he's mature, Mm -hmm. good buck, I'm proud of him, but he heard that and came in, and when he got crosswind of my scrapes, he just came straight to a scrape, he came right to it, and I love it when their head goes down into the scrape because it gives me, they're not looking up, you see? But in this case, he came in from the direction I didn't want him to come in, and, and he his head goes to the licking branch, and I'm full draw. I just draw it and, boom, I let the arrow go right right to him. So I shot him in this box crate in, on a licking branch, just textbook. It's the way it's supposed to be.
1: So did you have any trouble finding him?
2: Nope. No, no trouble finding him. I like it. No. No no he uh he left the one. blood trail that was easy to find good he deal. didn't go very far that's always he good. Went about 100 yards yeah. piled
0: up that's the way we like it yes, sir
2: yeah that's the way we like
0: congratulations. it. congratulations yeah congratulations
2: definitely. well thank you thank you congratulations to you you guys have had a good season too thank
1: you sir i'm still working on mine but yeah. i'm hope- hopeful uh, i still yeah, hopeful. i know
2: chad but you I had the same same itch issue. I know. Yeah. Uh, if if people out there think that that doesn't happen, they haven't hunted very much.
1: Right. Yep. Oh well. Yeah. I'll get it done. Keep plugging away. That's all you can do. So.
0: Jerry, we want to thank you for another great great episode. Um, you, as you know, you're always invited back on Run Ambush. You can come back anytime. Take over our show. Uh, you can. Uh, you're you're always invited back. Yeah. Uh, on this you know, show thank
2: you Tony. but after i r- r- ramble on like that i think you probably won't, won't be back for the next nah, one that's Just not to, true we get, love it we
1: actually away.
0: we actually got a uh, we got a rut show that we have been working on for heck almost over a year I, you have it i sent it to you and um we would love to um we'd love to have you back for that one that one's going to be multiple hours um We'd like to get that one out before, maybe even before summertime. If you if you'd come back for that one, that would be that would be awesome if you can if you can come back and share your knowledge for that.
2: Anytime. time, any time, Tommy. Any be glad to.
1: Hey Jerry, uh, just one more time for our listeners. Let them know where they can find the rut calculator and uh, in the the scent.
2: It, it is at Hunter's Blend Coffee. Uh, their website, Hunter's com uh if you go uh, there's a there's a uh, section underneath their products that is called uh, uh rut functional um uh, and you press that button and then right now you have to go to the uh, um the pull down menu to get the calculator to come down Since okay. there in the calculator you pull down the menu and if you have any problem just uh, uh get a hold of Hunters Bloom coffee guys and they'll they'll get you there
1: yeah and I recommend everybody does that. I mean it's a little too late depending on where you're at now uh, but for next year and don't think that you can buy it once and that'll be the same day every year. my day changed this year so um,
2: yeah it changes it it, yeah. it has it depends on where you're at geographically. sometimes it will not change for a year or two. it'll be the same day and sometimes it'll change uh, change uh, 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 about every year. And again, it's kind of complicated, but it has to do with where you're actually located geographically. And um, uh, it, 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 I'd like to tell everybody, oh, once you get that day, just go out that day every year. For 25 years and some days I did and I didn't. That's why I had to go and change stands every day for four days in a row. It's nicer when I know the day, <laughs> a lot nicer.
0: Yeah. I'll tell you I mean before before you go Jerry I'm gonna tell you something about that day I've had that day in my back pocket for the last either five, four or five years I think I've had it for the last have you got have you been doing it for the last five I've had it every day that you've made it available is it five years now or four I,
2: I think you called me before it was made available. I think you heard a podcast, and I think you got a hold of me. And I probably hand calculated it for you. Okay. I don't think the calculator's been out there three years. I think. Okay. I, think a little, I don't really know three or four years.
0: So I've had it. I've had had it available for me for the al- at least fun. at least the last four years. So every year I go to the woods, I know that I'm gonna go and see. Well, at least for the first day, I, and norm, uh, for the last. Three years, I've I've tagged out the first day, so that first day I know I'm going to go and see a bunch of big bucks. So if you are a deer hunter and you want to go to the woods on a given day and see a bunch of big bucks, pay fifteen dollars. Go, <laughs> it's worth it. it's yeah, worth every penny. Yeah, pay fifteen dollars. Yeah. Go go to the website, pay fifteen dollars, and and you have at least you know you know you're going to go to the woods and see a bunch of big bucks. So I mean, it's worth it. No, I mean,
1: even if you don't like hunting, yeah, you, you go out for some entertainment. <laughs> you know, and and,
0: and and it's kind of <laughs> yeah. weird. It's weird because you know if you're if you're a hunter and you're out there in the middle of October, you see to me you see them and they're like totally on guard and they're every step is calculated, right? You know, and the one I killed, and they're checking you. yeah, then
2: mm-hmm. they're sit checking you. That's why sit control. If you're trying to kill a a buck early. Uh, in the year, you better really know scent like we talked about in those mm-hmm. early podcasts. Yeah. Because you're going to kill one if you're
0: not. Yeah, and, for if, sure. and if you're going to kill one in early October, you better have some serious woodsmanship, which I do not have. But the buck I killed on November 10th, which was my day this year, he looked like a zombie. He wasn't worried about me. He was totally off guard. He looked like he was just no. stumbling through the woods looking to procreate and he wa- he wasn't on guard at all he was just he just came up looking to put his nose up to my licking branch it was it was it was pretty easy it was it, it, you may you've, <laughs> you <dummy>, you've dummy proofed <laughs> it jerry you dummy you
2: dummy exactly uh we we have i have a problem because people think that uh, it's snake oil we're selling snake oil mm-hmm. or something but, and it, but i've heard that said i don't know how many times I actually uh uh little we'll, we'll, uh, uh People that come to the workshop uh, out in Iowa travel all the way from Iowa out here uh, because she just got the date uh, one year, a couple, three years ago, and tried the date, and it really worked. She Killed a buck or something, big buck. So Jessica, so we just did a podcast with her.
1: Yeah, I listened day. to that one. Yep.
2: And, and, and Jessica said, "That's what she said." She says, "I thought it was he was peddling snake oil, and uh, <laughs> you know, and and then he she tried it again, and now." They're just killing big bucks everywhere out there. You know, yeah, that's they, awesome. uh, Yeah, she's killing these. No, it, it works. It really does. And, uh, but there's a lot of years that's gone, and a lot of years and a lot of data has gone in to determine that. Yeah. There'll be somebody who'll come up, uh, figure it out someday. And, uh, but my opinion is it will change the whole deer hunting world before long. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I know four years ago, Tommy, five years ago, if you talk about hunting over a mock scrape, they they laughed at you or they thought oh, it's as good as it's as good as hunting over um, maybe an acorn tree or it's as good as uh it's it's as good as hunting over a rub uh and right now though we've been so successful at it it's been so successful that right now even some of the some of the better magazines are talking about mock stripes and how it's going to increase your odds well believe me it didn't happen accidentally right well, it's getting it's, around
0: yeah, it's kind of yeah. weird to how they're passing it off as their own idea though isn't that, isn't that interesting yeah
2: yeah it's kind of interesting <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter i mean i i didn't i didn't uh, i didn't put this out there to become uh, uh, uh a star or rich i did it because uh I thought this was the most amazing thing I've ever seen that's in great. all my years mm-hmm. of the outdoor world, you know? So I just said, I'll share it. And that's what I've done.
1: And we appreciate it. it. Will.
2: Yeah. So
0: anyway, thanks yeah. Jerry. Yeah. We're going to wrap okay, it up. Guys, so, guys-
1: hey, so everybody, the myth, the man, the legend, Jerry Everhart, and check him out on the Huntfish Journal. Thanks Jerry. All right.
2: Thanks guys. You're too kind. Have a great day. All right. Have you too, funny. Jerry. Mm-hmm. Bye. Okay.
0: all right real quick before we wrap this up Chad um something that I thought of um before we stop um next year uh, or uh, if you're going out toward the end season try and make contact uh, with your property owners that uh adjoin your mm-hmm. um that adjoin the land that you're hunting if you're hunting uh private land try and get that permission ahead of time uh if you need to track try and make contact with the uh, tracking dogs because when we even chad and i were out there tracking it's something that we wish we had done ahead of time we wish we had made those contacts ahead of time Uh, we're out there tracking uh we're out there tracking his deer we have no cell phone reception we're um Running hundreds and hundreds back out of the woods to try and get cell phone reception to try and get permission So just something to think about ahead of time Um, Jump on Facebook make contacts with the uh, with the dogs in your area Um, I'll tell you uh, You know what what five ten fifteen men Can do out in the woods on a track a good tracking dog can do in ten fifteen minutes. It'll take ten fifteen men all day so um and uh try not if you're if you do have contact with a dog and you do have a good track if you do have a good blood trail you think it's gonna it's gonna be um a good a job for a dog try not to contaminate that area just something the food for thought
1: yeah hindsight i wish we would have backed out i wish we would have had all that ahead of time and yeah. backed out and just got a dog and but by the time we got a hold of the adjacent property owner and by the time i got a hold of the dog i mean the track was too old yeah. and so if he I think my deer still alive, but if he yeah. had died, um,
0: we had already know. contaminated the area. You know, and didn't have uh, didn't have permission ahead of time. I mean, so
1: hindsight so. is what it is, but just a uh, food for thought.
0: Yep. All right. Well. All right, man. We're done. We're done. We got another good one in the books. Jerry's always uh, wealth of information, and mm-hmm. on to the next.
1: All right. Thanks for listening to the Rut Ambush Podcast.
0: Thank you for tuning in to the Rut Ambush Podcast with Chad Cottle and Tommy Engram.